0: Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller. So glad you're with us today. Been talking about investing and trying to get some of the basics of investing out there. And so they'll be permanently on the, the podcast and on our website so that we can have that to refer to. Or you can have that to refer to later. As always, you can go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com. And that's where you can pick up the former programs that we've got. We're working on extending um, a number of uh, programs that are available on that site with some compliance changes that we've had recently. We'll be able to do some more of that. So we're looking forward to that, and, and hopefully that'll be a big help to all of you for uh, research and further information and educational because that's what we're here for we're trying to educate and we want to answer your questions send your question to mike at talkingmoneyradio.com or go to the talkingmoneyradio.com website and click on ask mike a question and i'll be sure to look at that question and answer it on a on a future uh, episode of Talking Money. So last week, if you missed it, we started having some basic conversations about investments. So I gave you some tricky investment questions, just some to help give you an idea how my, how you might react in different kinds of situations. The first one had to do with what would you do if you bought an investment and just short time after you bought it, it had a to the general market had a correction and went down 14%. What would you do? Would you buy more of it? Would you hold on to it? Would you sell it? That kind of thing. The other question had to do with you've reached a the $10,000 plateau in a game show. Would you keep going? Or would you take the money and run? And I gave you several scenarios on that. We also talked about uh, the a, a common statement that, we, that I've heard over the years that I've been in the financial planning, wealth management business is, risk is fine with me as long as I don't lose anything. Well, you know, uh, and, and, and unfortunately, that's why people look at risk is, is primarily with the volatility, the chance of losing money, as opposed to in addition to that, you always need to be thinking of the other risks. I call them a stealth risk because the, it's a risk that you don't see and it happens slowly over time. And that's the loss of purchasing power. And then I gave you a John Bogle quote, which had a lot packed, jam-packed, full of great information. It was just—it was just a couple of sentences where he said, "Overrating past performance is the most common mistake mutual fund investors make." And I have to add to that, and it's pretty much any other investment, it would even be true with uh, with real estate, any kind of investment, because um, it's just the way we a lot of us are wired. Then he says, "Giving inadequate weight to risk." However you measure that risk would be number two and being willing to shift funds too quickly would be number three. And a lot of people listening buy real estate. You don't buy stocks, you don't buy bonds, and that's fine. And, but I think in real estate, you'd have the same type of, of mistake being made. People trying to move things too quickly if real estate was priced by the minute or by the second, like stocks and bonds are. Another private credit and private equity is not priced by the minute there's there's other uh, negative issues with that with the liquidity but your hope the hope of course is that over time you will more than make up with the lack of liquidity by a higher return and just like with uh, annuities uh you, you're not going to have as high a return sorry as much as they may tell you you're going to have a higher return I, i've never seen it and maybe it's out there but i've never seen it you're going for the safety on that so the chances of you actually losing money unless you get that money out early then you've got a guaranteed most annuities have a guaranteed loss for the first uh seven eight nine ten years as that surrender charge goes away that's a guaranteed loss so you factor that into your total return because that's just part of how the return is calculated another thing we talked about was what do the pros do so we've got had different comments from different uh, investors major investors that you've heard of that talked about um what what they do, and how they invest. So if you missed that, there you go. Back to TalkingMoneyRadio.com and listen to it. And then there's a magazine. So you've got Forbes, Fortunes, Kiplinger's. You've got Money Magazine. And my caution there was to make sure that if you were going to uh, buy a magazine like that because you were looking at maybe some advertisements that they sent you or something else that you saw that gave an indication that they knew what they were doing and they, they could really help you decide how to invest next so my encouragement there was to go back several years and pull out some old copies of whatever magazine whatever newsletter especially some of these newsletters that get uh, put out there from these people and and i would stay away from any anybody that sends you an email that has like a 45 minute narrative about why you should buy their newsletter i mean if it takes them 45 minutes to convince you and they keep on saying in that in that um interview or that that recording that okay coming up we're going to explain to you why you we're the best thing that you why these things you shouldn't do or why we're the best things in sliced cheese whatever it is and then they keep going and going and going I've, I've been subject to those and, and probably the longest i've gone into it maybe 20 minutes i said this is ridiculous if it takes them that long to convince me i should be doing something with them then i'm not going to do it uh and and they're they're trying too hard um thoughts on on forecasting some of the the people that talked about what uh, you know watch out for how much the um the people who act like they're in the know they don't know I, I went through some industry equity return assumptions over the next 10 years. We talked about that last week. And just the big question, who do you believe? And that's why you, you research and go back and, and really listen and and read more than one source. And it gives you a little better uh, perspective on how different people are thinking. And don't read the ones that all think alike. Then we talked about the three general rules for successful investing. We started that... that um, conversation determine your objectives you have to evaluate the risk and diversify and which we want to expand on and started to expand and we talked about your objectives we talked a little bit about the risk and we want to continue that conversation now just talking about risk so when you have when you look at the investment spectrum the if you have cash on one end and i'm going to show this uh, chart to the people who may be listening uh but via the youtube uh, my 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 Uh, antiquated uh, PowerPoint presentation um on the left side, with the lower risk and lower potential return, you got cash alternatives. So that's your CDs, that's your money market accounts, that's your treasuries, your short-term treasuries, and and really long-term treasuries now have have the lower uh, lower return on them. The higher, the further you go. and We'll talk about this a little later in the in the program today. The the further you go out on the duration or the maturity, the more volatility you have, the more subject your investment is to interest rate changes. And I want to explain how all that works. Uh, and a little bit later in the program, so you got the cash, then then you move over on the on the risk spectrum, and you say a oh, fixed interest is next. So that's be your longer term CDs, your longer term Treasuries, that kind of thing, and then you have your bonds. And there's all different kinds of bonds. You have very conservative bonds, which don't pay as as much to the more uh, aggressive, um, higher yield bonds, which we used to call junk bonds. We now call higher yield bonds. It sounds so much better. Um, but there's more risk, to those, because you've got, um, the higher return. So when you have the higher return, obviously, if somebody's willing or has to pay a higher return to borrow money there's a higher risk there that's the only reason they would be willing to do that is because there were higher risk that doesn't mean you're going to lose the money and if you spread that higher risk out amongst a lot of different uh, offerings then you're lowering the risk because the odds are especially if you're using a professional money management uh, you've got a, a professional money, uh, money manager looking at your mutual fund or you've got an index fund that just uh, invests in the uh, broad spectrum of those kinds of bonds you're going to reduce the risk there as well and then of course on the far right where you'd have the higher potential return higher risk you've got your stocks that kind of investment even but even in there there are lower risk and higher risk stocks so it, there's a whole uh, bunch of options in there and one the thing I, I like to caution I don't like about this slide it says higher risk or lower risk and and really. All it's talking about there is the volatility and the risk of potential losing your money or not making as much money or, and that kind of thing, as opposed to it's the, the higher risk of volatility. All right? So you still subject yourself, to even though it says lower risk, that you're subjecting yourself to a higher risk of loss of purchasing power. So you haven't done away with your risk you're more subject to that stealth risk that we talked about that you can't see. Well, right now you can see it. When you see the gas prices going up like they are and food prices going up like they are, going to the restaurant, you see how that food price just flowed through down to the menu and you can see how much more things cost there. You can see that. But over time, typically, you don't see it. And and so it doesn't bother people as much. But then all of a sudden they wake up 10, 15 years later and realize, wow, I can't spend what I used to spend because my investments haven't kept up with the cost of living. All right, so we get back to the break. We're going to talk about the basics of stocks. What is a stock? What is a bond? How do they work? And and what's the advantages and disadvantages of each of them? We'll be right back after this short break. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum. One division is Everyday Steward which serves clients who are just getting started to those with an investable net worth ranging from $100,000 up to a million. For those desiring objective, biblical principles in their investments, cash flow management, financial planning, which includes retirement, insurance, tax, and estate, and their giving, Ronald Blue Trust's Everyday Steward advisors can serve as their clients' stewardship coaches so they can focus on living a life of purpose. For more information about Everyday Steward and the other divisions of Ronald Blue Trust, they can be found at ronblue.com. Now back to Talking Money. We're coming up at about 20 minutes after the hour here on Talking Money. This is Mike Miller, your host for today. So glad you're with us. And speaking about talking about uh, investments last week and this week. So you can always go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com to pick up uh, the recordings after we're through today. And many people listen to this as a podcast, which, uh, of course, is now the thing. You know, we got live radio and then we got podcasts. So we've got, I think, a good combination where we can do both of those things. So talking about different types of investments, anywhere from from, uh, the cash equivalents like money market accounts checking accounts those kind of things all the way to stocks and the different levels of risk of volatility in those investments so just to give you some basic background because i'm not going to assume that people really understand the difference between even a stock and a bond so what is a stock so if we if we look at how a stock gets established so a company decides, even if we take it from just a local, not, not a major company, let's just say it's a local uh, company, somebody wants to start off, and there's several people involved in starting this business, and they put their money into the business. They say, okay, we're each going to put in 50000 or we're each going to put in 100000 or a million, whatever it is, and in return for that, we want shares of stock. So it shows my ownership. That stock shows my ownership in that particular company. And so, as the company grows, um, the value of the stock goes up because the, the the company is making more money. If it does not do well, and the company starts losing money or just not making as much money, well, of course, that stock nobody's going to want to buy that same that stock for the same price. You paid for it, even though you paid you know, essentially par value for it, because it's not making any money. Maybe it's losing money and so forth. So they want to be careful with that. But as it makes money, it, it does well. And then, if you ever want to sell it, then you can sell it because you're you're a part owner of that company. So make it on a broader scale, and we say, okay, when somebody wants to go public, so this is not a privately held company like I was just explaining, but we want to go public. So if we're going to go public, that means we have to go through a lot of jump through a lot of hoops. With the SEC and trying to get um, the all the proper uh, paperwork done, all the proper disclosures and so forth, because we're going to put out an an IPO, an initial public offering. So in that initial public offering, and usually it's handled by investment bankers, and they may they may. Uh, divide the uh, potential number of shares that are about to be sold to various different uh, brokerage houses. Usually it's the major uh, wire houses that they go to, and people say, okay, I want to I want to be one of the first ones to buy into the stock. It's not always the best thing to do. Uh, I should have looked at this, but I think in many cases, the initial IPO price is it's $10 a share, 15 whatever the investment bankers think it would sell the best at then that, that's what the price goes out and people buy into it. Well, oftentimes that price goes down. When, it, when it, you buy it initially, it goes on the market and, and people, well, I'm not as excited about that as I thought it was. Or it goes up initially and then drops back down. Or it, it goes up and then it keeps going up as the company does well or even the, the thought that that company may do well that the, the stock can go up in anticipation of what the prices and this happens often with stock investments that goes up in anticipation of what people think it's going is gonna happen with the profits of that company six months a year five years from now and they're pricing that into that stock price already so you're an owner of the company that's all that is so now it's a public company so you own it with a lot of other people So I asked the question in the workshops when I teach this, and I did also as I was teaching at Morgan Corporation this last week, is how much of your money, so when you are investing in a stock, so you're going to invest to the NASDAQ, to the New York Stock Exchange, how much of your money does the company get when you buy shares following the initial public offering? Well, the answer is zero because you're buying your stock from somebody else. So, I uh, know some people that, especially if they want to go to social responsible investing or the Christian worldview investing, uh, it, it's a great concept. It's, but when you've got to realize that when you're buying stock from somebody else, you're, you're, none of your money's going to that company. Now, you may reap a reward from that and don't want to reap a reward from that because of the type of product that that company sells. Uh, or the dividends that come from that company. So, but I just want to make sure you're clear that when you, unless you're investing in the initial public offering or a subsequent public offering where they, uh, issue some additional shares, you're not getting, you're not, none of your money is going to the company. It's going to somebody else and it's an auction. So that's why that price changes so much. And we've seen that happen, especially, uh, this year to date, is you see the, the wide swings in the price going up and down because it's based on an auction. It's not necessarily based on, what a, um, a company is actually valued at. So the price changes, but not necessarily the value. And and that's important to remember when you're looking at investments in, in stocks is that stocks are are identified as either a value stock or as a growth stock. And there's different criteria for each of those. But typically the value stocks are going to be the lower price to earnings. They're, they're priced at a a better um Price to the what the value is than a growth stock. So a growth stock could be anywhere from a price to earnings ratio of let's say you know 30 up to you know I've seen two, 300 price per earnings. You know, so that multiple is so high it's the, the, the odds that that company's ever going to go make enough money to make up for that, never get to a reasonable price to earnings ratio is pretty low. The price is just going to come down eventually, which happened in the tech bubble back in the late uh, 90s, When the tech bubble burst, that's what was happening. You had a lot of these companies that were being priced way, way higher than what they were worth. And then once the tech bubble burst, the thing started to really drop fast and you got back to some normal multiples. But people sometimes will look at stocks as gambling and you can use it as gambling. But if you're investing it like you're an owner... I'm not investing to make a quick buck, but I'm investing in that company because I I I think this company has good potential long-term profit uh, gains that that I can benefit from. Then no, you're just you're just own you're just owner of the company, as opposed to a loaner which you would be as a bondholder so keep that in mind stocks yes they're they're higher volatility but that's where you get the the most risk and you really are the most potential gain so you you really want to have times that you don't going to enjoy it but you want to have times when the stock actually goes down in price if if stocks only went up in price then you you wouldn't have the same potential return as you do with with they are now where they have that opportunity for downward volatility when you have that downward downward volatility it makes them riskier and so you you want to have the reward so the the less the risk so you get to the fixed income you get to the cash equivalents there's virtually no risk of volatility there but there's virtually no risk of of gain either So that's where a good combination of the two is very important. All right, so bonds. So what's a bond? As opposed to a stock, you're actually investing in the debt of a government or a corporation. So the government being the U.S. Treasuries and the corporation being any number of corporations, whether it's General Electric, IBM, or some smaller companies, Amazon or something, that wants to, they typically say, all right, I want to expand my company. We want our board. We want to expand our company. But we don't really have the resources to do that from our current profits. So what we want to do, instead of adding new owners, which we would do if we added additional stock, we want to take out loans. Well, they don't want to go to the bank. The bank either may not be able to give them that much money or the cost of what it might be at the bank uh, versus what it would be on the bonds and the long-term nature of a, a bond contract as opposed to a uh, loan that you might have from the bank so they put out a, an open market to say okay we are gonna let whomever wants to whoever can afford to to buy our bonds they might be ten thousand increments increments maybe a hundred thousand increments whatever they are there you you buy that bond and in essentially all you're doing is saying i in return for my money the cor- corporation says we agree to pay you x amount of interest for x number of years if you hold that bond to maturity and if the company stays in business, then you, or if it went out of business, you're in line before the stockholders, so that makes it a safer investment for a liquidation standpoint after the after the lawyers and taxes, then you got the bonds and then you got the stockholders if there's anything left. But from, if, as long as that company stays in business, then whenever it matures, then you're going to have, you're going to get your money back. The higher risk it is, or the higher risk that the company may not be able to make their interest payments, then the higher that interest is going to be, which is kind of odd, isn't it? Is that the, the more risky I am, the less I can afford it, the more I have to pay. And that has to do with individuals as well, which really is a good reminder for people to make sure that you maintain good credit if you maintain good credit you'll pay less for all the loans that you want but you got to make sure you pay them back so that's all you're doing you're sending your money to the company the company saying i'm going to pay interest payments to you at the end of 5 years 10 years whatever that term is then i will give you your money back so we get back for the break we're going to talk about what effect Interest rate changes have. You buy a bond for 4%, interest rates go to five. You buy a bond for 4%, interest rates go to three. What happens to the the price of your investment in that bond during that time period? We'll get back after this short break. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum. Private Wealth, Everyday Steward, Family Office, and the Professional Athlete Division. The company's largest division, Private Wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private Wealth advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with the big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 16 offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit ronblue.com. Now back to Talking Money. Yes, and welcome back to Talking Money. You're listening to Mike Miller. This is Talking money, which means we want to talk about money. We want to hear your questions. Send an email directly to me at mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. So we want to make sure you are informed and get an objective answer to whatever question you have. There's no question too stupid, no question uh, uh, too difficult. If I don't know the answer, I will find the answer. I've got an array of resources in our firm as well as the local professionals that we can speak with to get uh, the right kind of answer that you need. So we're talking about Different kinds of investments last week and this week, and probably we'll we'll continue this conversation even some uh, next week. We talk about the different risk levels of different types of investments. I just spent the right before the break talking about stocks, the different uh, how's a stock work, and the basics of a bond. And one of the things that uh, people, I think, are not as um, aware of is how a bond price can change via interest rate changes. So uh, as my, my one example would be to say, all right, you you buy a bond, you pay $10,000 for a bond and you pay 3%, you you get a um, 3% yield for that bond. So if interest rates then, and yours is like say a 10 year bond. So in 10 years, you're going to get your, your $10,000 back. So if interest rates during that 10 year time period go from 3% to 2%, well, that makes your bond worth more because somebody would like to buy your bond and and pay and earn three percent versus buying a new bond that's only paying two percent. So they're willing to pay you, and you should be wanting to get a premium for that bond. You don't want to pay you sell that to them for what you paid for it because then you're going to have to turn around and invest your money at the lower rate so instead you have a three percent bond it's now going to be worth more so uh, typically and the, the chart i have is using six percent as the as the paying interest but the concept is the same so if a, a bond the value of a bond when interest rates rise one percent, if it's a five-year bond, so it has a five-year maturity, that bond's going to go from a thousand dollars to nine hundred and fifty-nine dollars. If it's if interest rates go go uh, up, if interest rates go down, like my example, in a five-year bond, it's going to go from a thousand to a thousand forty-three. And that assumes you have five years left in the bond. So the the closer you are to maturity, the less. Uh, um, change there is in the current bond price because it's going to affect a shorter period of time based uh, and it gets close to maturity so in this case if i have a bond that goes up um, to 1043 and it's a five year there's five years left in the bond i know i'm going to lose that 43 dollars over the next five years all right so because I, when it goes to maturity it's going to mature at a thousand dollars not at 1043 so the decision you have to make the decision money managers have to make is do i go ahead and sell the bond now and do i think interest rates may change enough and that they may go back up in the next five years to where i can buy back in and buy at a, a better interest rate than what i'm selling it for that's the the game that's being played all the time so if interest rates go down, then you're going to have your bond selling for a premium, depending on how much longer is left until that bond matures. If the bond goes the bond goes up, if prices go up, interest rates go up, which they're more likely to do now since they've been down so far. And what's happened the last year as interest rates have gone up, that's what's happened to the price of bonds. They've gone back down. Now, in a bond fund, they typically eventually catch up because they're continually buying more bonds at the higher rate. And, and you might have one year where you actually lose some uh, uh, price in that bond, even lose some value in that bond. But then the next year, it, it starts to come back. So it's, it's rare that they have a, uh, more than two one or two years in a row where they, they actually go down. But you still get your dividend through that whole thing. So if you were not looking at your statements and didn't see the, the price changing and you kept getting the same dividend, as far as you knew... The Price stayed the same, the price did not change. So, the value of the when a interest rates rise one percent, that same five year bond went from a thousand dollars to nine hundred fifty nine dollars. So, if you want to get out of that bond because yours is paying three percent and new rates are four percent, or in this case, six percent versus seven percent, if you do that, then you got to take a loss to get it. So, you got to decide okay, since I got to sell my bond for lower than it's worth. But then I'm going to rebuy at a higher rate. while well, I more than make up for that? But typically, the bond market prices those kind of movements in for you, so that they um, the uh, price changes are already there. So uh, that's how interest rates and bonds uh, affect each other. And something I did not mention in the in the uh, stock portion that I think is a, a good illustration. So some years ago, um, Dr. Rook and I were on the phone with a money manager of a firm that we were. Uh, looking at uh, adding to our portfolios we've done a lot of the, the research on the number side but we always like to talk to the money managers themselves who's the one pulling the trigger who's the one in charge of this of this particular investment and so we were asking different questions and and dr rook always has a bunch of questions to ask the these money managers but one of the questions is what what is it that you have in place what kind of procedures you have in place if the stock, if that company starts to go down, if your stock prices start to go down, what uh, what um, procedures do you have in place to help limit the downside, or how do you control that? And so, this money manager, when I asked her that question, she her next question back to me was, and it's a question I'll, I I don't think I'll ever forget: is Do you mean if the if the if the price goes down if it goes down because of a uh, price change or because of uh, a value change all right so if the stock just goes down in price but the value of the company did not change that's just the auction working where people are saying i'm going to pay this or not pay that for a particular stock and and typically what happens then is over time that price goes back up to meet the value so the, in in 08 do you think all the, the when the S&P 500 goes down 40 45% do you really think all the companies in that in, in the S&P 500 went down 40%? Their their value went down 40%? No, they didn't. Just the panicking part of the market made it go down that far. The companies are still worth what they're worth and, and probably worth more. So that's where we felt it was a great opportunity, and you should too, when things like that happen, is this a great time to, to buy into the market, not to panic and sell out of the market. We've I mean, had people do that. I, I still remember one client that called me up and on uh, march the 6th of 2009 a certain conversation you, you just remember in 2006 and he uh, he was um he and his brother we handled their pension plan and they were thinking about uh we said we just want to sit on the sidelines uh things have been so crazy remember in march by march things have been going crazy since the previous really september so it's been a long time that we've had a lot of ups and downs more downs and ups so it's just a scary time so it was it was normal to think like wow let's just not do this anymore and so i said no you really you don't really want to do that because then when you get out in, on the sidelines then i'm gonna to have to tell you when i think you ought to get back in and I don't think you ought to get out because of, especially where the price was now. I don't think you ought to get out because I think this is a good time to stay in or even buy more, uh, which we had done for client accounts back earlier in, in that year. And so, uh, and, and, consider it lucky i don't consider us that smart we just you're just going by the you're not trying to market time you're saying well we just feel like it's a better discount now than it was before it may go down more but we know we're getting things at a good price and we feel like a year or two from now it'll recoup and, and we'll be fine which indeed it happened so when um this particular client came in a few months later for a review um then and the stocks had already started going back up so by the end of 2009 stocks had made a like a 30 Thirty uh, percent rebound, and, uh, and so it you you made up you didn't make up for all the loss in that two thousand eight Great Recession, but you you made a good stab at it, and over a couple of years we did manage to get things back. But you know you just never know what's going to happen. That's why good diversification is important when you're trying to decide how to invest your money, because we don't know what's going to happen. So uh, when we get back from uh, from the break, so we're going to talk some about some of the um, Asset class uh, performance. So I've got a chart in front of me, and I'm, I'll, I'll do my my thing for my list, my uh, YouTube watchers who are watching this on on uh, from the phone I'm recording from now. So great, great high tech recording I'm doing uh, is is um, the, the returns that different asset classes have made. So we're we're looking at U.S. large cap stocks, international developed stocks, emerging market stocks, gold, uh, bonds, commodities. And just what inflation has done. But I'm going to pick a few of those over the last 15 years and say, okay, which really has has done the best? Is there any one asset class that pretty much performs at the top the whole time that we say, wow, we ought to buy all those? Is there one that's always at the bottom? We see ought, ought to avoid those. And I, I know you can already tell where I'm going with this. There is There's no one investment that stays at the top or at the bottom. And Which is why when you have a good diversified portfolio, there's almost always something in that portfolio that you don't like. Something that's not doing well. But as soon as you move from the one you don't like to the one you like is when the one you didn't like starts to do well and the other one starts to do poorly. So that's it just seems the way it has worked over the years that I've been in this business. So we get back to the break. We'll talk about that. We'll be right back. Talking Money is brought to you by Ronald Blue Trust. With nationwide trust capabilities, Ronald Blue Trust provides wealth management strategies and trust services based on biblical principles to help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. With over 11 billion of assets under management and advisement and a network of 16 offices, including Greenville, Ronald Blue Trust serves over 10,000 clients in all 50 states through distinct divisions and offers services across the wealth spectrum in these key areas. Financial retirement estate planning, investment management and solutions, charitable giving strategies, personal trust and estate settlement, bill paying, family office services, business consulting, and institutional client services. More information about Ron Blue Trust can be found at ronblue.com. Now back to Talking Money. We've got about 11 and a half minutes here left in Talking Money. Karen had a question that said something about the uh, Putin and the Russia and so forth. I didn't quite uh, sure what the question was, but I would encourage you to go back. It's very, very helpful um, back a few weeks ago, I interviewed Mark Elam, our senior investment strategist, uh, down at, um, in our national office. And one of the things we talked about during that program was the Russia and the invasion and how that affects what, what should you do and that kind of thing. So I encourage you to go back to talkingmoneyradio.com and, and, and go to listen now. And when you go to the listen now button, then you can, uh, go to uh, other programs that we've we've recorded that are listed there and you can search by topic if you want to but this one just a few weeks ago so it'll show up on the first or second page and just click on that and listen to it as a podcast and however you listen to podcast and uh, you'll be good to go so a lot of great information there as well Uh, so we've been talking about investments and getting some of the basics of investments down last week and this week and talking about um, stocks versus bonds and so forth, and before the break i was talking about the major asset class uh, performance so we've got this chart that shows uh, different uh, classes and i mentioned before uh, the break so the ones then there's a lot of different ways to track this this particular one just tracks us large cap which would be growth and value stocks international developed stocks emerging markets gold bonds commodities which is just general commodity index and inflation and some of these, by the way, these slide decks. Some of these that I have. If you want a particular, if you want to copy some of these slide decks, I think you can go on the RonBlue.com website and pull these up. This is as of twelve thirty-one twenty-one, and so they'll they'll get updated each quarter as as more reports come out. But this comes from our ISG group down in Atlanta, um, but it's. Um, Approved for general distribution so some of these i can send right out to you if you want to send your email uh, to or just send an email and then of course have your email address to the mic at talkingmoneyradio.com and just say you want uh, the powerpoint presentation or if you want a particular slide that i talked about then we can uh, just email that to you and you can have it your heart's content uh, but this one looks at those particular items and what's interesting about this chart, I think it's one of the best educational charts that you can look at because it helps keep you in perspective on when to invest in something and when not to invest in something. So if I go back to 2008, the list of investments, bonds, you know, that's, that was not a good year for stocks. You remember the Great Recession? But bonds, the bond index was up 5.2%. Gold was up 39 Inflation was essentially zero that year commodities were down 35.6 percent the commodity index u.s large cap stocks were down 37 percent in total of course a lot of these things went down more because they when you take the first couple months of 2009 then they they went down uh, even more than this but this is for the calendar year 2008 international developed stocks were down 43 emerging markets were down 53 so the natural inclination i think is to look at that and say all three of those large cap uh, international developed and emerging markets said this is this is crazy why am i investing in that i'm just going to get out because i can't take it anymore all right all right so what happens if you did that so the next year 2009 remember emerging markets was down 53.2 percent in 2008 In 2009 it was back up 79 percent, which probably didn't quite make up for the 53.2 but boy it sure did make a good stab at it and if you if you just bailed out you lost all that uh and you you never have a chance to get that back not in that rate because it's going to be uh, a different year and different performance after that the second best performing in 2009 was international developed stocks which was the second worst the year before and then commodities were next and then u.s large cap stocks were up 15 percent for for the year uh, and if you took certain stocks, that were up even more than when I mentioned 30%, I mean, stocks were up, uh, a good bit, a different index than that, uh, was certainly up higher than that. And I remember our portfolios did really well. The stock part did really well that, that year, but that was, goes back a long time ago. Well, you know, what have you done for me lately? So it's, it's just a good reminder, like just because something's down now, if it's a good investment, you got to be thinking, well, should I really be investing more in that? As hard as that is, because I know it's very hard to do that. When you, it's, it's easy to look back at a chart like this and say, oh, okay, I'll do that, because you can see what it did the next year. But when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't feel that way, and it doesn't feel like it's a good thing to do. So fast forward to 2018, which is not uh, the most recent year when stocks really did not perform well. Uh, so you had um, – international developed stocks were down 13.4, emerging stocks were down 14, and large us large cap stocks were only down 4.4%. Over well, the next year in 2019, us large caps came roaring back after 5.4 they were up 31 and a half, international developed stocks were up 22 and emerging markets were up 18.9. So you see that volatility in there. So that, and that's the risk I think that is in different types of stocks is that risk of volatility. And, and the feeling that, and, and this is natural to do, that when stocks are going down, we tend to think that it's going to keep doing whatever it's been doing lately. So we feel like it's going to keep on going down. That's just human nature, I think. The same thing happens in reverse. And when people start getting greedy, stocks have been going up, going up, going up. We think that's what's going to keep doing, going up. Well, it's not going to do either one of them consistently or permanently. They're stocks. They're going to go up and down based on an auction that we have. Called the stock market, and and I hear people talking all the time about it's a casino or it's a you know it's just a, a gamble, and I don't I, I don't see it that way at all. As I explained before the break, stock you're an owner of a company, and and that price is going to go up and down based on prices. So unless you think that uh, you're going to stop buying toiletries, you're going to stop paying for electricity, you're going to stop buying gas, you're going to stop buying cars, unless you're going to stop buying everything, well these companies are still there making those products for you to buy. And that's what you're buying. You're you're buying uh, your owner of a company that produces the products that you use every day. And you're going to keep using those products every day. Now that stock may go up and down in price, but it's still, you own it. And so the returns are going to be different in every decade and so forth. It's going to be different. But it's it just, I, I just need to warn you to be so careful about how to uh, win and, and how to not panic when things start to go down. And if you expect it, I think it's a greater chance that it's not going to affect you as much. And I'm going to talk some more, and it may be not till next week. I'm sure it won't be until next week, where where you can have time-based solutions and where you put your, even if it's only mentally, it doesn't have to be in separate accounts, but you, you put your your money in separate buckets. You've got a a short-term bucket, intermediate-term bucket, a long-term bucket. So the stocks are in the long-term bucket, which you don't anticipate needing for over five years, probably eight to 10 years or longer. And you may never need it. And the money that you need sooner is in buckets that uh, that don't go up and down so much. So we're going to talk about that in more detail later. So another chart that I have here looks at uh, market timing. And market timing is very, very difficult to do and on these charts, when you see, if you, if there again, if you want a particular chart, just uh, send me an email and I'll send it to you. So um, this particular one says, you know, market timing is tempting, but, but uh, more times than not, and I would even go further than that, so I said, it's never going to work. It may work. You may have some certain time periods where you ended up being, uh, uh, making the right call. I still remember back in 87. When uh, this, and I can't remember her name. Some economist. She was a, a economist with one of the major wirehouses, and she had predicted that the market was going to going to go down like it did in October of eighty. Well, this goes back to October of eighty-seven. Not not the uh, tech bubble burst in October eighty-seven. She was she predicted it, and, and then when when it came about, for the next five years, she was the one that was quoted like all the time. People were looking to her to say, "Hey, what's going to happen? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next?" Well, I think she she missed virtually every other call for the next five years. It's like she got lucky and got that one right, and so now she was the guru. Um, but and and to me, the gurus you want to listen to are the ones that are uh, are dosed with a a bunch of reality and will be willing to tell you, I don't really know. This is my best guess. Diversify because you never know what's going to happen. Well, this particular chart shows net equity fund flows and market returns so net equity fund flows means people are investing in equity funds how much money is going into equity funds the net of going in and going out and then it shows the market returns so they're rolling one year uh numbers so it shows very clearly that when stocks are going up as the that the the the, uh, net fund flows are going down when the market is going down the in, the net fund flows are, are leaving. So it's just amazing how, uh, this is general numbers. I know there are people that don't do that every time, but there are plenty of people who do It's And so it's, it's, you've got to be looking, you have to have a financial plan. You have to stick to your plan. I think the best, the portfolio design for you is the one that you will stick with. And if you'll stick with it, even when things go down like this, then uh, you're, you'll be better off, I think, than most people. As I've told Talking Money listeners for years now, the 16th year of doing this, is that if you're the kind that's going to buy into the stock market or some other kind of investment, but stocks are the most, the most common and the easiest to get and out of quickly – if you're the kind that's going to invest and you go along and it goes up, goes up, maybe goes down a little bit, that doesn't bother you. But then when it goes down precipitously, whatever that number is for you. It goes down 10, 15, 20%. And then you're going to bail after it's down 20%, then I think you're better off not buying into it to begin with. Just don't go there because you'll probably be worse off because the, the the time you sell is going to wipe out all the gains plus some and then you won't get back in when things go back up and maybe you won't get back in until things go up for a longer period of time which means you're getting closer to when you have the next downturn and so that's where it's it I think it it pays to be well diversified over longer periods of times and not be uh, fooling with the market inflows and outflows and all those kind of things so it's just uh, it's an interesting world we live in and interesting uh, human nature that we have. Uh, so if you want to get in touch with me at the office, 800-588-7526. If you want to meet with some of our team members, we'd love to, to talk with you and see if it's, uh, we can be a benefit from you, uh, to you. Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com is our email if you want to send me an email. Hope you have a great week. We'll talk to you next week for some more investment uh, management advice. Have a great week.